0: my name is roy malloy and you're listening to the dawn of crime a podcast that is dedicated solely and squarely to biographies of the people you may not have heard of because they were out and out shifty crooks i'm going to be joined today by a tremendously talented young man drag queen comedian cabaret star and all-round fantastic bedazzled jeweled man Mr Jack London, Jack London greetings and thank you for joining us.
1: Hello, thank you so much for having me.
0: It is um, what's your knowledge of crime like?
1: Um quite extensive to a degree. Um w- when I was really little, I always wanted to be like a private investigator or a detective or something. I was always fascinated by true crime stories. Okay. Um I remember, yeah, sorry. And up until now I've always been researching bits and pieces here and there. And my knowledge on it can sometimes be a bit disturbing, especially first date, but
0: yeah. i also got to be careful how I you know, phrase that question because you say to somebody, what's your knowledge of crime like? And occasionally they say, yeah, really good. You should have, you should have seen where I was on Thursday night. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you become an accessory after the fact. Um,
1: I was Saturday at 11.30 and I am here in Melbourne. <laughs>
0: We are going to be talking today about a criminal that I think has probably gone under the social radar in a very large way, but he was a fellow who ties in with the life, career, and and crimes of Squizzy Taylor and the Fitzroy Vendetta. Are you familiar with the name Squizzy Taylor?
1: Absolutely. I think quite a lot of people would be, you'd want to hope.
0: A lot of people tend to be aware of the name more than perhaps any of the real details. And I think we can put that down to being Australian, not American. And uh, I'm, I'm fiercely patriotic Australian. However, we tend to have had a history where we didn't tell stories as well as perhaps our American counterparts. And uh, look, if we were American, we'd have movies about Squizzy Taylor and and all these guys. And so I, I I think part of the biography that I'm trying to create is to tell some of those stories, the good, the bad, and the warts and the all. And Long Harry Slater becomes part of that. What do you think makes him so special that he's called and referred to in the media as Long Harry Slater?
1: Well, in my community, it would be very complimentary to be called Long (laughs) Harry Slater. Um, Judging by the the time when it happened, you imagine someone being called Long is an attribute to their height. Correct. Or like... Like, Ten, their arms. That's right. Maybe Ten so. points.
0: Now you're through to the bonus round, and I got yes. <laughs> he was called Long Harry Slater because he was how tall are you, Jack London?
1: I am now. I've been lying so long about my height. <laughs> so I'd convinced myself I'm five nine, but I think I'm about five eleven. Okay.
0: Do you feel like you're tall for the average man, being just around six foot tall?
1: Really, I think nowadays I feel I'm kind of average height. Long Harry consider. Slater
0: was five foot seven, and he was considered uh,
1: tall. Well, yes, back then everyone was a lot shorter.
0: Yeah, there were. How tall do Especially, you? Especially. Uh, beg your
1: pardon. It's a squeezy. He was.
0: Well, how tall kind, do you feel Squizzy Taylor is?
1: I now I think I remember hearing it, but I think he was only around. Like just over five, like maybe five, one, five, two.
0: Spot on, 20 points. Now you're through to the, the, the round of prizes over to my left with the girl in the bikini that we can never have on television again. Uh, he was five <laughs> foot one. So Squid oh, Taylor like was you. five foot one. Long Harry wasn't his friend. Mm. There's a very famous day where, in the middle of the Fitzroy Vendetta, which is where you got two groups of um, criminals who were gangs essentially. And they are really, honestly, that image of the, uh, so you want to get them, boys? Let's go get them, boys. They're that kind of gang. They are really, they're wearing Stetner hats, pinstripe suits. Oh, I love it. Right. And ironically, I've been past a couple of the clubs you frequent, and they all do dress quite like that at times. Mm. So the apples fall in a fair way from the tree. But yes. on that particular day, on the 8th of May, 1919, Just over 100 years ago, along with his cronies, a fellow called Frederick Thorpe, who tried to bribe and and throw bombs at the houses of police. (laughs) Ted Whiting, who was a double belt winning boxer and a group of other criminals, nine in total. They were rounded up in a dawn raid, all in the same house, all dosed down on the floor. But the police in that day, how do you feel they got to a house with nine criminals they intended to handcuff and take back to the police station? How did they arrive?
1: I imagine it would have been, I I want to say the word stealthy, but I know that was very difficult to do back then.
0: What about a vehicle? um, What kind of vehicle did they take?
1: See, I'm just going straight to when I was obsessed with Underbelly Razor. And I just know the sort of jalopy cars that they would have turned up in. You would have thought,
0: like a beautiful, big old fronted.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they weren't very quiet. You could hear them coming a mile away. Right. Um,
0: Now, if they had budget cuts, um, how do you feel they arrived on site?
1: I'm thinking either some kind of animal, maybe a horse or a carriage a car. No. It's like an apple.
0: I think worse. They arrived on foot. Oh. <laughs> and the nine detectives. Okay.
1: I just have the image of Prince, uh, Chief Wiggum from The Simpsons just going, I'm proceeding on foot and like, running two blocks and getting tired.
0: Even that's better than where this is about to go. Oh, and God. They arrived on foot. When they had arrested all nine criminals, they handcuffed criminals to criminals and to a detective. And they (laughs) proceeded, but one of them wasn't there. They still had another address to go to. So along Webb Street, as the grandest walk of shame in the history of ever, they walked to the next house.
1: It was a conga line of criminals. It absolutely
0: was. They walked to the next house. They cuffed him too, and then they walked all the way back at 1.8 kilometres, I guess in stony silence, until they could process these criminals. So this is kind of, it's a whole, it's a whole nother era of crime, isn't it, really?
1: It absolutely, it's, oh my God, it is. It's almost like a trust system.
0: (laughs) Like, we're we're gonna do this peacefully, even though you could probably outdo us and drag us home. So that that, that's- It
1: it just reminds me of, um, so I used to work at Adelaide jail um, as a tour guide and South Australia's first ever prison, using air quotes, was a log in um, Elder Park that they were chained to, with a with a little fence around it, and they were asked to not escape, please.
0: That is, I don't know which I'd prefer to be dragged through my own neighbourhood, uh, like it's like the the worst Moomba parade in the history of oh. ever. Um, it's like if it's like if uh, I don't know, <clears throat> Frankston ran Moomba. Uh, please, please don't <laughs> unsubscribe, Frankston people. Oh, you in a lovely town. You don't really. But, people- um, I'm, I'm open to their kind, but um, so they. they <laughs> that's that's the kind of part of the the story of Long Harry Slater. Now he was he was considered the gunman for this group. He was a psychopath, and by that word I mean he had no remorse at all. He liked harming other people, and human beings were just a commodity for his own gratification. So yeah. then. He has this enormous falling out with a guy called Henry Stokes. And Henry Stokes is Squizzy Taylor's boss, mate, compatriot. They run two up schools and steal Sly Grog. Only a few weeks earlier, Long Harry had shot a policeman at point blank range in the chest. He was awaiting trial and he got drunk off his proverbials and he swaggered through the city after being at eight different bars looking Henry Stokes. Henry Stokes is a kind of large guy, wore three-piece suits. You're kind of imagining that guy who is the kind of like the bad guy in Popeye cartoons. Mm -hmm. He's a ruddy faced Englishman carrying his briefcase. and He's walking down Collins street. If you're not familiar with Melbourne, I'll make this brief. The Melbourne town hall is perimetered by Collins street on one side. It's the big street. It has Swanson street at its front. And then down the side of it, it has Collins Street. He's walking down the hill. He's not quite there yet. He's walking towards uh, Sponson Street. He's across the road from the property that is the town hall. And there was a hotel there at the time. And out of the hotel comes Harry Slater. Long Harry walks drunkenly up to Henry Stokes and they've got a rivalry. They hate each other. Both are probably carrying guns. Slater's gun has never recovered, but he had mates with him, so he probably lo- lost it to one of them. What happens next, Jack London?
1: I'm imagining there's a very typical kind of standoff between them. Um, now, again, I, I just go straight to me watching the Underbelly series of Squizzy and, <coughs> um, and um, Razor. I imagine some very kind, gentlemanly words were exchanged. Maybe a, a please stop that. When a you see bit a, of a,
0: yeah. yeah. When you see a fight in a pub, right, I tend to notice yeah. it starts with two guys. One pushes the other. Then they push back. And then one guy grabbed the scruff of the neck of the other guy. And they kind of do that for a bit. Other guys jump in, break it up, right?
1: Yeah. Maybe a and then when the- the section when the sexual tension kind of disbands, then they start to get angry with each other again.
0: Yeah. And then maybe yeah. let, let's go a worst case scenario, they don't even they don't shove, they just go straight to punching, right? That's a, another prospect, straight to punching. Mm-hmm. But at some point you'd imagine there were words swapped. So the words begin with long Harry. He kind of he draws out a sentence along the lines of I'm gonna and he gets up to Henry Stokes. And Henry Stokes pulls out a gun, an automatic pistol, and shoots him four times in the body. Three of them exit his body and shoots him. And then Long Harry drops to the floor. Stokes stands up and shoots him once when he's on the floor, goes straight through his arm out his bicep, and Stokes runs off. Now, on this exact moment of this exact day, in the heart of the city at 11.30 a.m., there's a shooting.
1: How many witnesses were there? Oh, now this could go either way. It's how many now, people. Legitimate
0: witnesses, not witnesses that they produced later, their mates.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm thinking it's, it could be a case of a lot of people saw it physically, but when they were asked, no, I didn't see a thing.
0: Spot on. One 13-year-old boy who'd run away from home from Geelong. Oh, In- my God. He was the only kid who didn't know enough about it who was willing to put his hand up. He did live. He lived a very long, prosperous, happy life. And um, But he was the only witness that they could find that day. Who else happened to be in the area that didn't see it exactly happen but was in the path of Henry Stokes as he ran away? Oh, God. Two offbeat, off-duty detectives.
1: And they didn't see a thing.
0: Well, they didn't see it. They were just downhill from it. They heard it, looked up, Mm. see Henry Stokes running towards him, crash tackle him and take him to the ground. I won't give away the ending of the long Harry Slater uh, debacle. His life goes on to be grand in every storytelling prospect and context. But I want to read you out a a transcript um, about from him being in court. Now, this is uh, between him and some lawyers and uh, he's been cross-examined, and the, pro- the prosecution says to him, and this is a fellow called Mr. Notley Moore, a great name. He says, do you remember the 12th of May? And Slater says, your worship, do I have to answer these questions? He says, yes. He says, well, I've got my reasons. I don't want to answer them. The Prosecution says, it's difficult to see how an answer that simple can incriminate you. Slater says, but you might be leading to something else. Mr. Notley Moore says, when the question's asked of you, if it's going to prejudice you, we won't make you answer it. Do you remember the 12th of May? He says, yes. Did you see Stokes anywhere near the Hunt Club Hotel? He says, yes. Subinspector Warren says, did you speak to him or did he speak to you? Slater, don't wish to answer that. He says, you're bound by oath. You have to answer the questions. He said it might incriminate me. The prosecution said, We'll give you, we'll give a ruling on that when you say something that incriminates you. And Slater says, I'd like the charge against me to be dealt with first, and I'll talk later. He said, I need you to answer these questions on oath. Did you see Stokes? He said, I refuse to answer. He said, Then you have to go to jail. Slater said, I can't help that better to go to jail than prejudice myself he says I tell you what we can make the application I need you to answer the question did you see Slater he said I did he said did anything happen he goes I refuse to answer and it went like this for about the better part of two hours round and round. And he ended up going back to jail for a week
1: oh wonderful
0: now the story of Henry Slater he gets out of jail skips town he goes to which state Sydney keep guessing Adelaide Adelaide man
1: Adelaide
0: yeah he goes to Adelaide. his next crime and we'll end with this his next crime is fabulous he and three two mates rather than three of them they go to the races and but um gambling of any kind was illegal Mm. but it was exciting it's hard to it's hard to believe that two up was exciting it's fun I'll say fun (laughs) but not exciting Yeah. So they're on the flats, on the grass, a huge crowd of people. They've drawn a circle like a busker show and they start losing money deliberately throwing coins up and paying out the winners. But then they say, you know what? Everybody last throw of the day. We're going to all three of us. We're going to bet on heads. Anybody that bets on tails for what's about our equivalent of $15 a bet. We'll give you three times your money. If you get two tails. So everybody bets tails. They all buy their betting slips from these three boys, little bits of paper. You pay $5, you redeem it. But they've got double-sided coins.
1: <gasps>
0: Crafty bastards. The police nab them. And they say to Slater, we also saw you with a dice game earlier with rigged dice. What does Slater do with the dice?
1: Oh, I'm guessing I uh, straight away, I just think he... Puts them inside him some way. I'm just going to say it probably would have been orally.
0: He puts them inside himself. Orally, you are 100% correct. The life of Henry Slater is a fascinating one. It all builds up to a big and grand, colourful tapestry of the life of Squizzy Taylor. The whole story feeds into the Fitzroy Vendetta in which Squizzy Taylor is a major participant and gunman. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Jack London. This is a part of the Dawn of Crime uh, podcast. It is a direct attributary to the book series, The Dawn of Crime, which are available online just by simply searching The Dawn of Crime by Roy Malloy or check out my Facebook page, which is called Roy Malloy Author. It's been a thrill having you guys. Thank you, Mr. Jack London.
1: Thank you. See you next time.